And uh, the questions that you're going to be talking about, I have to tell you ahead of time as, as we go through this material, are going to be very thought-provoking. You may not even come up with answers to those questions this morning, but I think they're very important. And, and the teaching this morning is going to connect to that so that perhaps you guys can, can, can think through some things that guys don't oftentimes take the, the, the time to think through. And so um, as we get going here, let me read uh, what we're going to be studying. And this is Ecclesiastes 4 and then verses 7 and 8. Uh, it starts at verse 7. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Now remember, you know, we've, we've been going through this. This is not the kind of scripture uh, where Solomon always provides us a happy uh, solution to whatever issue that he has raised in the, in the teaching. But in this case, he is going to do that a little bit, and, and that'll be the topic for you guys as you're going to be talking. Um, but this opens up a new discussion of what makes life either meaningful or meaningless. And then what he's been doing up to this point has been focusing on material wealth, right? Working hard, getting stuff, having people envy you or you envying somebody else. All of that's focused on material wealth. This morning, he's going to be ta- he's, we're talking about a guy who is all alone. Nobody around him. Nobody to share things with. Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? Solomon is describing a man who is, by his own choice, driven to the point where his work is the most important thing in his life and, and he has no other distractions in his life. And so, no wife, no kids, no friends... No matter what goals are achieved, his focus is on his work. So Solomon's question is, why would a man do this? So to get the answer to that, we're going to go someplace else in Scripture. We're going to go to Luke 12, 13 through 21. This is what is known as the parable of the rich fool. Let me read this to you. Then he told them a story. We're talking Jesus. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. 
And so as we look to the meaning of this, remember whenever you're studying scripture, just one quick point, if you're trying to understand a particular scripture or a group of scriptures, always take, uh, go back and look at a couple of scriptures before and a couple of scriptures after, because a lot of times the key to understanding what you're trying to understand is right there. And in this case, it's verse 15, which is not part of this parable normally. And it says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That's the key to understanding that, that, uh, that parable. So the point of that parable is basically twofold. Okay? Twofold. First, we're not to devote ourselves to gathering and accumulation of wealth. Uh, Solomon says we shouldn't do it. Jesus says we shouldn't do it. Don't devote yourself to that. And we've heard this countless times, right? I mean, you've heard this in church a few times, I'm sure. What's so bad about accumulating wealth? Because some of you guys are, by many standards here in this, in this country, wealthy. Well, the answer is more complex than it first seems. There's really nothing wrong with having wealth. The Bible describes many who are rich. Let me go through a couple of them. Job, remember Job? We think about Job as going through all these trials and tribulations that Satan set up and that God allowed to happen. But think about this. He had wealth. He was described as the greatest of all men of the East. He had more wealth than anybody else. And then God allowed Satan to take it all away. But then what did God do? He restored it double. So Job ended up having gone through all of that with more wealth than he had even before. Abraham, one of the richest men described in the Bible. Genesis 13 describes it and says, Their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. He couldn't even keep it all together. Isaac inherited his father's wealth and expanded it to the point where he was described as, quote, too powerful, unquote. And he was asked to move. And even after that, he accumulated even more wealth. Solomon, the very guy that's teaching us all of this, in addition to being the wisest man, was also one of the wealthiest. Scripture says this, Solomon had so much silver that it lost its value to him. Didn't even care what it cost, what it was valued at. And so, these are, these are founding men of the faith, right? I mean, these are guys everybody studies about, you all know about. So, having wealth, and in this case material wealth, material stuff, is not really the problem. You can be a good guy, you can be effective for God, and you can still have wealth. So, that was the first point of that. But then the second point, we go back to the seventh verse of what we're studying today. And what does it start to become meaningless? And, God, and, and Solomon asked this question. What happens to all the wealth when you die? Remember in that parable, the rich fool thought that he had all the time in the world. And then what happened? God said, I'm going to take your life tonight. So all of this planning that you were doing, all of this setting all this up, it's all a waste of time. And most of us here today think about a lot of things when you wake up in the morning. You think about a lot of things as you deal with your family and work through life. But you don't probably think, I might die today. 
So what do I do? How should I live my life in light of that? That's a terrible way to live, right? I mean, you don't want to be living, oh, I might die, I might die. But Solomon's wisdom can't be underestimated. His focus is different, but we start to understand it. See, we plan for things. We schedule things. We're looking at our, at our tomorrows, and we're, and we're thinking about how those might look. But even if you live a long life, what are we talking? 80 years? 90 years? Maybe 100 years? How much time is that really in the grand scheme of things? Solomon's perspective is like God's perspective in this. It's eternal. He's got an eternal calendar, not an 80 or 90 year calendar. So when you die as a believer or as a non-believer, guess what? Your soul goes on forever. But whether it's with God or whether it's apart from God is what we make of in this life here today. So to appreciate that, consider that you're counseling someone. And I know most of you guys in here, because of who you are and because of the focus you have on your life, you end up counseling people. Folks come to you and say, hey, I got an issue going on. How would you deal with this? Or how do you deal with that? And when you're counseling somebody, what they usually come to you with are issues that are that are on the surface, that are not really the core issues that they probably have to deal with. And so what you need to do to counsel them, to understand them, is to ask them penetrating questions that will allow you to kind of peel the onion back, as they say, to get in there and figure out what is it that's really at the heart of the problem here. Defining questions. And one of these questions that counselors will say to somebody to get them to think is, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? And so as you think about that question, and then, you know, when you come to a meeting where some guy's up here talking to you and teaching you and he says that question, then he moves on to the next topic, you don't really have a chance to think that through. And you probably haven't thought that through. If I was going to die tomorrow, what would I do today? But that's one of those things that when you have some time, it will help you if you consider that question to think about what's important today. What will I do today, whether I die tomorrow or not? Because all that question really does is helps you figure out what's important in your life. What may be areas where you're not measuring up in your own mind and maybe you could make some changes to do that. So... In most cases, the guy isn't going to take that question and say, you know what, I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to continue working on a project that I've been working on because that's important to me. Most of the time, guys aren't going to do that. They're going to have something much more significant that they want to work on. So part of the issue with wealth being meaningless is when there is nobody to leave it to or to share it with. And the point is, we're not blessed by God to hoard wealth to ourselves. We're blessed to be a blessing to other people. And we're blessed to build the kingdom of God. This is what, this is what these men did that I read about earlier who had wealth. 
They were a blessing to other people, and they built the kingdom of God, hence their position in Scripture that we understand. Now to us, um, the rich man, in the story of the rich man, the, the rich fool, he's called a fool, right? Now what does that mean? Well, we think of a fool as being a silly person, a person who is, uh, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do you know, smart things. But in the Bible, a fool is the other, uh, the antonym of what a wise man would be. Well, what's a wise man? Well, we've been studying that. A wise man is a guy who lives with God, who works for God, who pays attention to what God does in his life, and who does things in his life that God would want him to do. So the opposite of that isn't a silly person. It's a person who is against God, who doesn't want to do what God wants him to do, who is apart from God, who doesn't care what God thinks, and he does what he wants to do. That's the fool, rich fool. Not just a, not just a wealthy, silly person. A fool is one who says in his heart, there is no God. A fool is corrupt is vile. So the fool in the parable has no desire to be a blessing to anybody but himself. He has no family, no friends. And now Solomon isn't referring to business partners. He's not referring to uh, co-workers. He's referring to people that make life worthwhile who matter to you. Real friends. And when he talks about that, he gives us some really valuable life axioms. You understand what I mean when I say axiom? An axiom is a, is a grouping of words or it's a, it's a thought process that helps dictate how you live your life. Let me give you some of these axioms. People matter more than stuff. A story about a guy who was a church pastor here and he wanted... He wanted to really enforce the idea that people mattered more than stuff. And so he allowed them to take coffee onto the newly carpeted sanctuary of his church, knowing that people would probably spill it, but figuring, you know what, I'll clean the carpet, but I'll let people have their coffee and fellowship in the, in the church sanctuary. Silly example, but that, that is what he tried to do to make people matter more than stuff. Here's another axiom. What's mine is yours if you need it. Think about that. I mean, that flies in the face of uh, neither a borrower nor a lender be. That flies in the face of some of these other ones. If I've got something and you need it, you can have it. Another axiom. I've got your back. I've got your back. I've heard David say that many times. He said it to me. Friendship may be the one thing that Solomon thinks makes life worth living. He's talked about all this stuff that's meaningless, but friendship may make it worth living. A friend who is willing to put your interests above theirs and to act to guard you in the midst of challenges is worth more than riches. And then the last axiom that I'm going to talk about is mission first, people always. The guys in the military know that one. 
Mission first, people always. What are we saying? It was conceived in the military. The idea behind it is that the mission is important, but it must be achieved. But you must also, in the process of that, care for the people. That's critical to the success of the mission. Mission first, people always. Well, guys, that completes my teaching on this chapter. The questions you've got this morning are going to take some time. And so I will turn it over to the table captains to, uh, to kind of go through this. Thank you very much for your wonderful attention these weeks.